The Start On Demand. On demand. We have many seasons in Winnipeg. Winter, construction, mosquitoes. Don't forget about the big one we're in right now. Pothole season. McNabb took a tour with a pothole crew and we'll visit with an engineer from the U of M's pavement lab to get into the science of potholes. Wait times are up for hip and knee replacements and cataract surgery. You'll hear from the health minister who says they're working on it. Justin Trudeau's approval rating is a sinking ship. And the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra has a show this weekend that is out of this world. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, March 28th podcast for The Start. And we're going to learn about the science of potholes. I don't know, whenever you add the word science in front of everything, that can create an initial, like, uh, sort of snore factor. But I love learning about this stuff. And I think the pothole factor balances that out because we get ramped up when you hear the word pothole in this town, the amplification of the conversation. Mm -hmm. We all want to know, okay, what is the real deal with potholes? Where did you go yesterday, McNabb? Yesterday, we're going to do a couple things today, but yesterday I... Uh, met up with one of the pothole crews that do uh, that I think personally is a thankless task of filling the potholes in the city because I learned yesterday, like, first of all, what they're doing right now is just the first step. So they fill it with this cold solution. And then in May, when it warms up, they'll fill it with a warmer asphalt. And then they'll probably have to come back a third or fourth time, depending on how bad that pothole is. And that could be on a street that has hundreds of them. I, I drove down Saskatchewan Avenue yesterday between northbound and southbound Route 90 and was just like, I couldn't stop giggling. I was like, there's no way to show somebody adequately how bad this drive is right now. And it's just a short stretch of road that is brutal. And so they're, they're doing this work to fill them and fix them, but they could be back there two weeks from now and then two months again and then in the fall. And that's on a road they're not even really repairing. So when I say the science of potholes, I think more of, is there something better we could be doing that we wouldn't be revisiting these same holes year after year, or is there just something better we could be doing with our pavement? So there's a whole asphalt lab also out of the U of M that is super cool, and it's these guys just studying, and women, men and women just studying. Pound, they have this machine that just pounds, like, different <laughs> cement, and they're trying to figure out, like, okay, like, if we drove over this kind of mixture 75,000 times, maybe we would eliminate potholes like they're working hard to figure it out but in the meantime we're all going crazy with them is it like that glass box at ikea where yes, they have the robot that, that goes up Honestly, and down on the chair that's perfect if you've been to ikea and there's that chair that's like their number one seller i think it's 75 bucks or something i don't know i had one in university and you could do anything to that chair besides light it on fire i never tried and it, it lasts what is forever this chair? And, well they have this thing in ikea i don't know the name of the chair it's probably called the dukelborm or something <laughs> Ikea is Swedish. Can you spell Dukelborn? It has two dots over the O. I know <laughs> that sure much. For sure it does. You could spill all the meatballs you want on that chair. It's uh, the one with the wood, ha- like wood frame-ish. I'm going to look this up. but the uh, It's not really wood. It's faux wood, I'm sure. So, But at the Ikea store, what Greg's referencing is to show you how durable it is. They have it in this glass box, and it's just this big, like... 
camera coming down on the chair over and over again to show you that even at this cheap price, it lasts forever. Here it wow. is. It's called Poang. 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 Two dots over the O. Over the A. Over the so A. Very okay. close, McNabb. And uh, yeah, that that's the one a lot of people will recognize. You can also get the matching Ottoman, but I, I don't. They call it an Ottoman. Yes. They probably call it something. It has okay. a different name. Okay, yeah. I, I am familiar with uh, at least that particular style of chair. Okay, so they, they pound that chair to make a point. And yep. then at this asphalt lab, I've been out to it a few times, they, they do the same thing but with cement where they're like dropping different things on it because they have to simulate thousands of cars going over the cement or asphalt mixture or whatever to see if they can figure out how, how to better improve these products. So we have another guy coming in later in the show just to talk to us about, A, why do we see so many in Winnipeg compared to other parts of the country? Are we worse than Saskatchewan? That's one of the questions I want to ask because lots of people think, oh. How dare you suggest that? <laughs> well, there's a lot of people, Greg, who will say, well, I drive to Regina and it's not this bad, or I'll drive you know, to Grand Forks and it's not that bad, and we all have the same climate, so what's the deal there? And then, like, seriously, are we just going to live with these forever? Well, because it has been suggested to us by listeners over the last couple of years that our climate in particular is more prone to that because of the way the water pools and Manitoba used to be a giant swamp and right. all that. I reached out to a climate researcher at the U- University of Winnipeg who said, well, it's... Is not that's not really contributing to it. It's concrete is concrete, and water gets into it, and it breaks it up, and it's just uh, a problem for any climate, I guess, like ours. But it does, yeah. When you go south of the border, do we see the same things? I don't know, and I've never, honestly, I've never actually been on a road trip through Saskatchewan, so I can't make any comparisons. I just know that when I drive around, like yesterday, was on. A couple of days ago, I was on McGee Street, which runs, I went up St. Matthews, and it's just shy of Maryland, mm-hmm. so I hung a left on McGee. Just that stretch from St. Matthews to Ellis was like a war zone in terms of its potholes. It looked like it had been bombed uh, just repeatedly. It was brutal. And I actually, I always laugh, having, and I'm sorry to interrupt, having traveled to a few war zones, I've never really appreciated when someone has said that, but I have done several stories and then interviewed drivers, and someone will say, well, it's like a war zone, and I'll say, well, how do you compare that? And I've had guys say to me, well, I just moved here from Iraq last year, and <laughs> and no joke, these roads are bad. So I will allow that phrase, because once somebody has said they've actually endured that, lived through that, driven through that, it, it, it it's... It, it, it's a bad comparison, but it might be an apt one. Ox cart path. That's, <laughs> that's where I'm going to settle in as the as the analogy. Not that I was alive in those times, but that's the way I imagine that the roads would get when it was raining and when it got sloppy in the spring. The ox cart paths must have had massive, gigantic potholes in them, and they they certainly weren't concrete, and they. We haven't figured anything out. Let's be honest about it. We're still we're still throwing darts here, well, trying to I figure used, out what's going to work. When I used to work at Taco Bell, the boys and I would joke that, hey, we should uh, just take the refried beans and fill the potholes with that. <laughs> I got oh my boy. work as good as anything. That stuff, we, when it sat for a long time, it turned rock hard. It was uh, it was delicious when it was fresh, but after it sat for a while, it was a uh, force of nature. So maybe we can ask the, uh, the, the, the asphalt guys at 837 when we talk to the University of Manitoba if uh, they've tried the refried bean mix from Taco Bell. I can't wait for this. The guy with nine degrees. Well, I've got an idea. Just hear me out. It involves beans. You can warm them up. They're very heavy. They're dense. Well, and if you smash some tortilla chips, that gives them a little yeah. bit more of a crunchy or a harder consistency that might depending work. on the kind of bean sure you could also you know it could fill different kinds of holes oh. breadcrumbs 
whatever you want to do to put on top of that to give it that crunch, that extra layer of thickness. Yeah, and he's, well, he's like a bonding agent. His name's Ahmed Shalabi. I hope he's listening right now and preparing for these questions. Civil engineer. Make, make your notes now. A couple follow-ups. Yeah. Your suggestions. How about, how about that can be our text question for the first hour this morning? All else aside... Forget about the science and the technology of concrete and asphalt. What should we fill potholes with in Winnipeg? Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore, Jeff Forte, Greg. What's the story here out of the NFL? It comes from ESPN.com. And here's the story, at least the first several sentences. New Arizona Cardinals coach Cliff Kingsbury won't waste any time using his college coaching background to help him in the NFL. Kingsbury said Tuesday at the NFL owners' meetings that he'll implement, quote, cell phone breaks during team meetings. He did something similar while coaching at Texas Tech, but will adapt it for NFL players. He says, quote, they're itching to get to those things. Kingsbury will let the players break for their phones. Get this. Every 20 or 30 minutes, what he called, quote, a good run. Right around the time, he usually starts to see players lose interest. Wow. That is interesting. Kelly, what do you think about this? I'm just thinking uh, if George Hallis or <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Lombardi or <laughs> if we're still around, man, they'd be going, what? I'd love to hear from Dick on uh, this one. Yeah, no kidding, yeah. Uh, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, you have to roll with the the punches and and be willing to to change, and uh, and so I'll tell you if it works, then I think everybody's going to say, "Hey, Cliff Kingsbury's a genius." I, I know when he was hired by Arizona, there was a hue and cry. Everybody thought the Cardinals had made a huge mistake in in hiring this guy as their head coach. So. Uh, I don't have an issue with it. It, it. it is what it is. You look around the world and everybody has their nose stuck in a phone these days. So if there's at least an opportunity to do that and break up the monotony of practice, then why not? It's I wonder the, if the corporate like a, world's doing this. Well, I think I think in the corporate world, people don't put their phones down at all. Like, no. Like that. I mean, we, we have meetings here where I'm, I, myself included, the boss is talking and I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I'm looking down at my phone. And if he came around, and I hope he's not listening, I, I'm not even doing work on my phone, right? You're, you're, so I just think that that's happening everywhere. Yeah. But if you're taking, I like the idea of removing the phones from the equation. Like, is, is there a place the phones can go? It sounds like that's probably what they're going like, to are do. Are they locking yeah. them up and then it you can like go to your locker? sounds like they're leaving them out of the room and then it's like, you know, guys, in 20 minutes or so, we'll get a break and you can get out there and then we'll get back at it. It's like a smoke yeah. break, basically. I think you could look at it that way, Brett. Phones are far more addictive than Be- the cigarettes. As, as a former smoker, <laughs> are you, yes? I would say so, yeah. yeah. So you could quit cigarettes easier than quit oh, your phone? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. What? Yeah, but well, and that's the thing. If you, I think that's why you do have to take it away because if the phone is on your person, then it's almost impossible to resist the urge to pull it out and have a look at it. I'm, I'm guilty as charged as well, Loren, sitting in a meeting. Yeah, I just, I, I, I and I. Maybe I'm like these players. I just hate meetings, period. <laughs> and uh, so I have this. I can't resist picking up my phone to have a look at it. 
I also wonder though, like these guys are getting paid a lot more money than any one of us in this room and they can't go 30 minutes without looking at their phone. Maybe it's just an acknowledgement that this is the way society is and as opposed yeah. to fighting it, might as well work with Yeah, and the way I read the article is that this is like when they're on the field practicing as well. Like they'll they'll practice hard for 20 or 30 minutes, then they'll take a break and let the guys see their phones and then be focused when they come back. Is he suggesting that on the field somebody is like... Like halfway, like, you know, has their jersey on and has the ball in one hand and like a phone in the other. Like, I. No, 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 no. What he's talking about, they'll practice. They'll yeah. go through their drills and that. Then the, you know, they'll blow the whistle. They'll take a break. Guys and go will get, get their phone. And, and I know, but is phones. there a scenario happening right now where people no. are on the sidelines checking their phones or not paying attention? Like something like that has to be happening for him to want to crack down like this. I understand in a team meeting if they're watching film. Or they're going over a play and people are looking at your phones, you'd be super annoyed. Like, yeah. hey, number 27, I need you to be over here next time. And he's running like, what? to the bench, running um, to the bench, water and uh, and a Blackberry break. What about you, uh, Forte? What do you think? I don't know. I find it kind of uh, ridiculous. <laughs> Just are you that Tough addicted? Coach. Are, you, well, are you that addicted to your phone that you need to have a break every 20 or 30 minutes? Yes, yes. coach, we are. <laughs> well, isn't that like enabling or feeding the addiction? That's, you know, my take on it. Send me to rehab. That's really the only <laughs> choice at this uh, point. Well, I, I, I don't know. Like I say, I think it's walk smart. through a mall. I, I see this all the time watching sports games, and it always just amazes me. Somebody's shelled out big dollars to watch a sports game, and there they are on their phone missing all the action. Out yeah. for supper, you yeah, know, trying to, trying to yeah. you have a night out without the kids, and then you, you get to the restaurant, and you're like, and just let me check. people just, blah, 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 blah. you know, <laughs> you see it in all sorts of places. I, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, Kelly, yeah. that it's you're working with the issues and yeah. allowing them, but I, I think Jeff might be right that what are we saying about what how addicted we are right now? Well, if they he, all went to the sidelines and like had a beer or a cigarette or whatever you, another vice might be, that. you'd be like, uh, this is not right. Oh, just, uh, you know, hacking a cig out on the sideline. No, it's an addiction. Yeah, but he's not looking to change the world. He's no. looking to coach his team to a playoff spot and he's acknowledging the truth yeah, his, and yeah. moving moving forward and saying, I have a better chance of success if I make this accommodation. Exactly. His idea is that if you take that five-minute break or however long it is, get your personal stuff out of the way, mm-hmm. then get back to work sure. to focus on what you're doing. They probably give him a five-minute break anyways, regardless of phones, after half an hour of studying sure. and stuff, right? So. Yeah, or 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 working on the field. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Kelly, you said that there was an outcry when Kingsbury was hired. Is this the kind of thing that people were worried about? Like, well, I don't. They... Uh, not that. Just that you know, he was a guy that uh, had not really had that decorated a career with Texas Tech, and all of a sudden he's the head coach of an NFL team when there were others out there perceived to be more qualified. And maybe that's why they hired him then, because yeah. this is a guy who has some new creative ideas, new yeah. way of thinking. It sort of bucks the trend of what we come to know and embrace as what should be the way the, the way that mm-hmm. things should be done. Yeah, well, Pete Carroll, the same sort of thing. He had a couple of different forays in dry runs in the NFL that didn't go very well. And then when he went to, to Seattle, he was related to the players in a different way. Sure, yeah. You know, college coaches versus professional coaches, there was that assumption that things were different. And for the most part, that is borne out. But in the last decade or so, that's really changed because the players in the NFL are getting younger. The average yeah. age in the NFL is 25, 26 years yeah, old now. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing. Coaching is as much as what you know about the game now is how you can relate to people. It's just the way that it is. 
Let us know what you think, 204-780-6868. You can also email brett at cjob.com, mackling at cjob.com. When do we get a break for a cell phone check here? Honestly, right now. I've looked at my phone three times while you guys were talking, <laughs> and I have no emails out. I'm not expecting a message from anyone, but I don't know, like just in case. Someone wants to get a hold of me at 6.55. I got to double check. Keep texting us. We got lots of great suggestions on what to fill those potholes with. Everything from porridge to marshmallows and to the uh, little granules that they use on the field turf at IGF. Mm. Keep those ideas coming, 204-780-6868. Yeah, Tim says, I'm not a scientist, but we should fill potholes with a granola that's stuck to the cereal bowl <laughs> I find in the spring under the seat of my wife's car. What is going on? With his wife. I've got about four coffee cups in my car right now. I hear her. It's hard to hold your oatmeal and work the cell phone at the same time. <laughs> Justin Trudeau's approval rating. Yeah, and he's taken a serious hit in the polls. We wondered if this was going to come with the whole SNC-Lavalin affair. And the latest survey, which was done exclusively for Global News by Ipsos, found Trudeau's approval rating has fallen to 40%. And that's actually lower than the approval rating for U.S. President Donald Trump, whose rating sits at 43%. Daryl Bricker is the CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs and joins us on the phone now to walk us through some of these numbers. Good morning, Daryl. Good morning, Lorraine. Nice to talk to you again. Yes, it's been a while. What what are we talking about here? What's happening with these numbers? Well, I think you basically said it. I mean, uh, the uh, SNC-Lavalin scandal has really had a very serious impact on uh, the popularity of the uh, of the liberal administration in particular the prime minister himself and uh, we're now seeing in our polling and actually there was another poll that came out this morning showing the same thing a 10 point lead for the conservative party over uh, you know with a, a leader who basically nobody knows over probably the biggest rock star we've had in Canadian politics in a few decades uh, so it's a really a, a difficult situation for the Liberals right now. One of the constituencies that uh, Justin Trudeau seemed to to have uh, particularly strong effect and connection with, Daryl, were women. Well, that, that seems to have gone by the wayside in a dramatic fashion. Yeah, now the Conservatives are leading among women, but also among younger voters. So uh, uh, the last election, uh, we saw voter turnout go up by about eight points. And uh, a big chunk of that came from people who normally don't vote, obviously. The turnout was up. And those tended to be women and younger voters. And both of those groups have now moved over to the Conservatives. You know, when we talk about polls and sometimes scandals, if we're going to use that word for SNC level, and when people think of scandals, they think of, you know, something more like a what is happening in the States or, or sort of the opinions that people have that are super polarizing about a leader or a sex scandal or what have you. And and we're talking about SNC-Lavalin, which you think, you know, even when you say that phrase, people would roll their eyes because they're, they're not getting it, but they seem to be getting it and being upset by it. Are you surprised that this kind of scandal would have this impact? Well, uh, yeah, I am. I, I think everybody is. Uh, but the... Uh, uh, the reality is what we're dealing with is uh, a couple of uh, issues that really re- related specifically to the prime minister's brand. The thing that he was supposed to be different uh, about, the thing that um, one of the reasons people elected him, and, and those two things were he was going to run an open and transparent government, and people are now asking questions about that. And he was all about um, equity, you know, the way he was going to be treating women differently than his previous administration, the previous administration did, uh, you know, his real focus on indigenous issues. And all of this is, kind of gets mixed up in this, in, in this uh, uh, really negative kind of an atmosphere that makes the prime minister look hypocritical. And 
one thing people can't stand in politics is hypocrites. Now, looking at the the regional breakdown, are there any particular trouble spots uh, for the Liberals or big surprises? Uh, no, they're, as Pat Buchanan once said, they're in deep, deep shape everywhere. <laughs> um, they're, uh, uh, it's you know there isn't a place. I mean, where you're sitting today in Winnipeg, they're they're you know Manitoba, they're trailing. Uh, the thing that the only province in the in the country in which they're actually leading is in the province of Quebec, but. Now the Bloc Québécois and the, and the uh, Conservative Party are both nipping at their heels. So, you know, their strategy was going to be that they were going to make up what they could potentially lose in Ontario, and they were going to lose in Western Canada by doing really well, much better in the province of Quebec and take those NDP seats. That's not happening. So if an election were held tomorrow, Daryl, where, where are the votes going? Is it a huge lead for the Conservatives? Yeah, a 10-point lead for the Conservatives would be a pretty significant majority. All right, Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Daryl, thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Also coming up at 745, health care wait times. Many feared that the changes that have been made in recent years were going to lead to problems, and now it looks like perhaps there are some issues. In certain key surgery areas, I think you have a lot of people waiting for hips and knees that uh, will know all too well that the wait time can go past that recommended six-month period, and we're actually waiting longer for those surgeries in 2018 than we did two two or three years ago, so that doesn't bode well. We're going to talk to the health minister at 745 and say... What's up with this? Well, we know that the, the, the province has committed to creating some of these specialty clinics in terms of knees and hips. And as we get older and the technology gets better, more people want it. More people want hip surgery. It's like the quandary you have with MRI. Mm-hmm. As more and more uses are found for diagnosing different injuries, different ailments with MRI, then the use of it goes up as well. And I, I think part of this is exactly the same thing. We are living longer. People who are younger want these surgeries. And so the demand is going up and we're unable to keep up with the demand. But we'll try and fill in the blanks on this. Uh, With anything, the numbers say one thing, but what's really happening behind the scenes is what we want to find out. Mm. There was some good news in the report. Some of the wait times are are improved, but I think um, the knee and hip is such a huge one for our aging population. And, and you don't have to be that old to get them now. I mean, I know lots of 40 and 50-year-olds who are going for them because of just, you mentioned the quality of life. They're not in tremendous pain, but they know they can improve or start running again or all those things if they just get that fix. Coming up next, McNabb took a trip yesterday with a pothole crew. We'll find out if they used, as some of our listeners have suggested, <laughs> porridge, <laughs> granola, refried beans. beans. Refried beans, that's yours, Brett. How about that nacho cheese sauce? Oh, oh. that does create a certain amount of gut rot, so I feel like it's meant like. I like the, like a buffet. That nacho cheese sauce, I uh, I, I I loved that nacho cheese sauce when I worked oh. at Taco Bell. <laughs> no, I mean, people, Jeez. like, I get it. Don't get me wrong. I actually uh, was at a store the other day, and, you know, you see those, like, refill pumps. I think it was yeah. 7-Eleven I must have been at. Ran in to get some couple things. Yeah. And I, I almost just said, can you just get the cheese? <laughs> like, do I have to buy the whole tray? I just kind of want to have this dish of cheese, you know, for whatever purpose it might serve me. 49 cents. You can, so you can. Cup of cheese. I don't know. I would sell it oh. to you. I'd find a way to do it. <laughs> I, I just I'm, bought into that. I'm, I'm customer oriented. I'm on my I way say? to the store right now. I'm just going to get a uh, Slurpee and a cup of cheese, please. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Yesterday, McNabb, you took a trip. Where did you go? 
hooked up with the pothole crew right on Saskatchewan Avenue, a few blocks from here. I want to be clear, I didn't fill any potholes. I wasn't allowed to do that. Also wasn't allowed to get in the truck. I asked. I did get a safety vest. So that oh, was fun. Oh, good for you. Did you keep it? Well, they were really worried because, as you know, I, I'm easily distracted. So uh, within 15 minutes, I was yelled at about three times. Watch the road! Like, as I'm, <laughs> oh, you know, like, what's going on here? But uh, we, we, we hooked up with the pothole crew because this, this is the time of year when you see it. You mentioned that one degree forecast, Greg. Well, that's going to create that vicious cycle of freeze, thaw, crack, fix, repair, and it just keeps going on and on. So later in the show, we're going to delve in with an expert about what can we do to maybe not have to keep doing this year after year. But for now, my question for you, how many potholes would you guess the city fills every year? Oh, hundreds. Come on, for real, you know. I don't know. I don't know. Like... uh 50,000. 194,000 was oh how many God. they did last year. It was about 170,000 the year before. And so far this year, they're at about 7,500, and they've really only been doing it for a couple weeks. So I met up with one of those crews yesterday just to see how this work gets done. Splashing through a pool of puddles, the car creaks and groans like a much older vehicle. But age on this 2013 SUV isn't likely the problem, at least not on this street. Saskatchewan Avenue, just west of Route 90, is littered with a patchwork of potholes. So bad, all you can do is grit your teeth and slow down. Hundreds of craters within a few hundred meters now filled with melting snow. At this time of year, we have uh, wet conditions, very wet conditions, and we uh, have freezing temperatures overnight and temperatures warming during the day, so we're really into that period where there's a freeze-thaw cycle. And it's that freeze-thaw cycle causes the pavement to crack and the asphalt to pop and causes those uh, potholes to uh, come up. And the pothole crews, who on average can fill at least 500 per day, very hard work. You're out there, you know, day after day. Making Ken Allen should know. The city of Winnipeg spokesperson spent years in construction and says the mixture being scraped into the two-inch holes in this neighborhood is just step one. We know that it's a temporary solution right now just to keep the roadway, you know, clear and drivable. But we're, we'll be coming back uh, once hot asphalt is available uh, about mid-May and we'll be uh, making permanent repairs once the pavement is dry, once the frost is out of the ground, and we have a better chance of a patch that will st- stay. So in the pothole we just did right here at Saskatchewan and Barry Street in the St. James neighborhood near Polo Park, I, I'm guessing it was about two inches deep. Is that the is that at least how deep you need them to be before you're adding the mixture? Yeah, you know, they it has the, the pothole needs to be deep enough to hold to hold the, the cold mix compound. So uh, if it's only a, an inch deep or half an inch deep, the asphalt's not going to stay very well in those holes. No matter how hard they pound that mixture in. So we're packing it down, we're leveling it out. With so far this year, City of Winnipeg crews have filled and, some uh, 7,400 potholes. But if last year's numbers are any indication, they've got about 185,000 to go. Say we go through another freeze again or another snowstorm. Is it possible that you could be back filling the same hole three, four, five times in a year? You know, it all depends on conditions. It depends on what what Mother Nature uh, gives to us. But certainly it wouldn't be unheard of for us to go back to a single location many times. I hate potholes, too, because you can't avoid them on some streets, right? Like, it's one thing to say, oh, I can drive around that or go around it. But some of them, they're just so frequent that you just you have to hit them. 
And yeah. so th- what people might not know, too, is that that cost Manitobans like in 2014, which was one of the worst winters on record. Manitobans filed 1200 pothole claims with MPI so far this year, about 100. We want to start this half hour with potholes. Mab yesterday went out with a pothole crew to find out what they're up against. They filled 194,000 potholes last year. 194,000. And that could be for a lot of repeat fills because they do have they do a fill in the beginning uh, this time of year, and then they have to go back apparently with the hot asphalt if they get a bad. Spring or summer, they might have to go back a third or fourth time. The cracking, it's just a vicious, endless, thankless cycle. I felt for them. I thought, man, they probably have been here before. Probably were there last week. It's a brutal road on Saskatchewan. So, yeah. We were asking you for suggestions on what we should fill the potholes with at 204-780-6868. Got lots of amusing texts, such as, I believe it was Tim who said, uh, well, why not use the cereal that gets stuck to the cereal bowl I find underneath my wife's car seat uh, after sitting there for the whole spring? We've had porridge, we've had marshmallows, and the one that really attracted me and caught my attention, two of them actually, the little pellets that they use on the field at IGF for the field turf, and also recycled plastic bags. So we thought we would speak to a civil engineering professor from the University of Manitoba, which also has a pavement lab, and that's where our guest is from, Ahmed Shalabi, joins us live here on 680 CJOB. Ahmed, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. So refried beans in potholes, yay or nay? Uh, yay. <laughs> Why not? Yes, we're on to something. You're up to trying to smoke like anything, yes? Of course, we try everything. And, and uh, you know, filling potholes is really a difficult job, a challenging job. Of course, the best way is to design these roads better from the first place and be able to uh, address any deficiencies before they uh, turn into potholes and a number of potholes. So that's what's really been happening is uh, we, we call it preventive maintenance, where uh, crews would go out and seal cracks or, or fix, uh, make small repairs early on in the pavement life, and that extends its life by sometimes by 10 years and uh, delays the appearance of potholes for quite a while. So there's a strategy to how we repair the roads that has to happen in order for us to do less work in the long run, but there's also a mixture that people keep waiting for, like a miracle asphalt or concrete mixture that we won't have to keep repairing these roads over and over again. Where are we in terms of changing even how we build our roads, perhaps? There are many good materials for filling potholes. Sometimes the problem is it's not the material that you use to fill the pothole, it's the material it will stick to, so the 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 hole itself, and whether there is more damage in the pavement that makes this uh, entire pothole filling material uh, pop out uh, in one piece. And, and you're back at where you started. So uh, there are improvements in the materials to fill potholes, but there are more uh, work needed to make sure we don't damage the roads to the point of needing to fill many potholes. So a lot of people think it might begin when we build the road in the first place. Increased uh, maybe gravel base is something that we were discussing off air. When you see I-29 and they tear up these gigantic stretches of I-29, the gravel base that they use seems to be absolutely massive. How much of a role does that play in terms of long-term or longevity uh, of a road? We, we try to always hit that right. So roads are designed for different classes, different uh, levels of loading and different service lives. 
Uh, I-29 is designed for a very high uh, traffic loading, and that's why you see a very thick gravel base on it. Um, what we've uh, been uh, doing in, in the pavement lab in uh, the U of M for the past 10 years is to try to improve the type of gravel we used. So first thing is that we uh, uh, took out all the clay that used to be in this material. So it now has less fines and it's now consists of larger aggregates. And both the province of Manitoba and the city of Winnipeg are moving toward using that type of material. And it's uh, been already tried on a number of highways, including Highway 75, for example. And it showed very good results. It showed improvement. And it showed that the roads can be draining faster. So water goes through them faster. And that uh, make them return or recover to good performing condition sooner and basically last longer. So it eliminates perhaps some of the water sitting between the gravel and the concrete, which can cause, cause the heaving and the cracking situation. It actually gets lower and further away from the concrete, if I'm hearing you correctly? That's exactly the case. We want to get rid of water as quickly as possible. So uh, we're no different than the flooding situation we have in the province right now. We all want to get rid of this water as quickly as possible. It creates a lot of damage. Freeze and thaw creates a lot of damage to the roads. And that's really where uh, many of those potholes get started through this freeze and thaw cycle. The daily cycle we see these days where water would go deeper in the pavement, freeze and create larger and larger cracks. And that ends up creating the potholes. We had an email from one of our listeners who says, just look this up. City of Winnipeg, concrete street thickness, six inches, highway 75, 10 inches, I-29, 11, and then the German Autobahn concrete thickness standard is 27 inches. And then he says, now which one do you think lasts the longest? So maybe the basic question here is why are city streets not built thicker? So the six inches are, I believe, the residential streets. And those streets basically see a garbage truck once a week. So they're not really designed to carry heavy loads. Um, um, most of city streets are 10 and 11 inches. And you can make for the difference, some of the difference in the base thickness and the base quality. So the type of material under the surface of the road. Um, I'm not sure if the autobahn is 27 inches. But I don't really know that. And I think it would be excessive. That uh, 27 inches would be more of an airport runway, uh, an international airport runway, not a, not a highway uh, thickness. So most roads are going to be in the 10 to 12 inches if they, if they are truck routes. Now, and we're talking about concrete here. Um, if they are asphalt, it can be even less than that. We hear all the time, and you referenced I-29, Greg, and, and people saying, you know, when I go to Regina or whatever, I don't have this problem. It, are we in a bit of a losing battle in Manitoba because of our soil and climate? Or is it not fair to say we can't do better because of those things? Uh, soil and climate are definitely challenging in Manitoba, but they are not that different from um, Saskatchewan, for example. I would um, leave I-29 aside because the funding formula for that is very different. Mm. Yeah, the, the state US puts have, more money in, in their no, roads. The U.S. Has a, has a gas tax that explicitly goes to repairing infrastructure on highways. Canada doesn't have that, so we cannot compare to their system. But we can compare to Saskatchewan, and I would believe our roads uh, are uh, no different than the roads in Saskatchewan. We have a perception that potholes in Winnipeg uh, are different than anywhere else. I was mentioned I was in Chicago last summer, and some of their roads are one great big giant pothole. We're not alone in this battle. We're definitely not alone, and you can look up any other major city, and you will see that um, pothole is is a major complaint. Uh, it's not not to say that it's insignificant. It is very significant, and it impacts road safety, and that's really where it becomes. Uh, very uh, important for us to, to repair them and to make sure the roads are in, in better conditions. 
but we're, we're not different than many other cities. And, and uh, um, we are, I, I would say the city and the province are both fighting this battle. And, and uh, uh, hopefully in the next couple of months, you'll see a lot of improvement. We've had some other creative suggestions. I mean, some of them were just goofy, like the, the porridge and the oatmeal. That's just listeners having fun with us. But another listener said, well, what about recycled plastic bags or or recycled uh, water bottles? And I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I thought that rung a bell. Like I've heard, is that kind of thing something that, you're looking at? That's actually something we are looking at. I actually have a sample in my lab of recycled plastic bags. And they don't come as uh, cut-up bags. They come up as very much like it looks like a bag of rice, you know, hard Little rice. pellets. They're pelleted, and they're pelleted so you can use them in, in road construction. You can basically sprinkle them in your pavement, and, and they'll help improve uh, the stickiness of that pavement and, and help preserve it. We haven't tried it yet, but we're looking forward to do that uh, hopefully this summer. So where, where is this being done already using the pellets from or plastic bags turned to pellets, I suppose, to fix roads? It's been done in Texas and it's been done in uh, some warmer climates in India and Indonesia. But uh, it's still very early on to, to say that it is an effective treatment. But it's something that uh, the plastic industry is looking for as a way to reuse mm. their, their waste plastic. Well, we know we have a ton of waste out there. You mentioned that you'd like to try it this summer. Do you just get to go sprinkle that out in any hole you want or do you have to? How do you how do you get to do that? pilot project no i don't have that luxury <laughs> I, I get to try it in the lab first and i get to show um, uh, any client whether it works or not in the lab and then it's up to them to decide whether they want to try it in the field but the city has come to you in the past and said yeah we'd like to try what you're doing on some of the streets the city of Winnipeg tried a lot of uh, products and many uh, successful products in fact this past year they've tried something called warm mix asphalt which is uh, you you will know you're in a warm mix asphalt project because it doesn't smell like asphalt it's basically asphalt that is heated to a lower temperature, to about 110 degrees instead of 130 or 140. Uh, so it, it doesn't produce the same odor that you would see in a normal paving project. And the good thing about it is it, it saves energy and it makes the road last longer. So, you know, you, it's all win-win in, in that situation. So that was tried in South San Vital on a number of uh, residential streets. And I hope that will uh, be expanded this year. Now, Minnesota, I know near Alberville, near the uh, outlet mall, they have a stretch of highway there, the University of Minnesota and Minnesota Department of Transportation. They do this coordinated testing and, they, and they'll alternate and move the lanes around so they can test the different concrete. I know in research, in medical research, there's a lot of collaboration between different sites. Do you collaborate with, with other sites that might be dealing with uh, these different problems and, and solutions as well? Yeah, that site is called Min Road, and uh, we've, uh, I visited Min Road 20 years ago and uh, been visiting them frequently since. We've actually done some work with them. We've taken some of our um, uh, innovations and tested them uh, on the road in uh, Minneapolis or near Minneapolis. Uh, they do have that uh, extra lane on the interstate, but they also have a loop inside the, the research area, right beside that lane. And on that loop, there is a truck that drives, you know, nine to five every day oh my word. in a loop to just uh, <laughs> to test the road. And that road has, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of sensors mm. in the pavement. So it's a, it makes for a perfect uh, testing condition. So we collaborated with them before. We've uh, gone there a number of times. Um, and, and they've been very helpful to us. So you're trying hard to help fix this problem is the bottom line I, here. I would say we're actually making progress. Great. And uh, you'll start to see that in, in the roads uh, that you drive on. Can you tell us when? 
Like if, like, <laughs> when? like, you know, tomorrow time, the date. roads will be less bumpy or... Uh, you know, I, I can tell you from 10, 15 years ago to today, the, the type of engineering being done and the type of construction being done has improved significantly. As we continue to make those improvements, you will see that the roads are lasting longer. And that's really when you start to win that battle against potholes. Before we let you go, I just have to ask, because we have so many questions, if you ever at a dinner party or tell people what you do, is it just turn the whole conversation to roads? For <laughs> it, like- unfortunately, it does. But <laughs> <laughs> I can it only does. imagine he's trying to eat and they're like, okay, well, i got a couple ideas for you. Yeah, <laughs> There's always good ideas and we, we appreciate them, of course. They're helpful. Ahmed Shalabi is our guest, civil engineering professor at the University of Manitoba at the Pavement Lab. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been great. Thank you very much. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, some potentially concerning news for any Manitoban waiting for surgery in this province. Yeah, we've got some new data released by the Canadian Institute for Health Information this morning, and it shows Manitobans are waiting longer for hip and knee replacements as well as cataract surgery than they did in 2016. So what we know is people needing hip or knee surgeries are recommended to wait no longer than six months. And in 2016, 66% of Manitobans hit that six-month benchmark. Last year, only 49% received a hip within the six-month period. That's a big drop. The same goes for knee surgery. In 2016, before the province introduced a series of massive changes to our healthcare system, 58% of Manitobans got a knee replacement within six months. Last year, just 37%. So it went from 58 to 37. Cameron Friesen is the health minister for Manitoba and joins us on the phone now to talk more about these numbers. Good morning, Cameron. Good morning, everyone. The system is supposed to be getting better, Minister Friesen, but the wait times for some of these key surgeries certainly don't show that. Well, first, the good news, this new data from Canadian Institute for Health Information does show uh, that when it comes to uh, things like MRIs, CT scans, and hip fracture surgeries, we're actually delivering comparatively shorter wait times. We're doing better in those areas. Now, as you say, there are other areas in which Manitoba has to, uh, has to improve. And we're aware it's exactly why we're introducing our system changes. I think Manitobans will remember that these have been long-standing problems in Manitoba. They're problems that we cited when we came to power three years ago and we said, look, throwing more money at the health care system did not get us shorter wait times. Clearly, a transformation of the health care system was in order, and we're in the middle of that right now. But the current transformation is not having the impact on those key surgeries. The wait times are worsening. Well, if you see those numbers, you'll actually see a couple of things happening there. One is that there is more demand on our procedures than there was even a few years ago. We know that we have an aging population. Hidden in those numbers is data that shows very, uh, very uh, explicitly hip replacements. There's actually two more, 200 more procedures there than just three years ago. Knee replacements, there's 400 more procedures. So one thing is we're responding to increased demand. And that's a good thing. But clearly, as you say, more has to be done. I would make one other point. Manitobans will remember a few months ago, we actually announced an additional $5.3 million for additional hip, knee, and cataract surgeries. Those numbers are not included in this data. So we will continue to make good investments, but we will also see at this time next year what the result of those additional uh, priority procedure surgeries has been. I'm hearing anecdotally in the community, those are having an effect. 
Minister Friesen, you mentioned the fact that there's a larger demand for these services, and I can see that because if I look back and recollect when I was younger, you were typically pretty old person if you got a hip replacement, and it certainly wasn't the routine surgery then that it is now. Are we seeing younger people getting these surgeries that for an awful long time were reserved for the, the most serious of cases and the, and the most elderly of citizens. Uh, you're absolutely right. There are more people receiving services, sometimes at a younger age. We also have more professionals prescribing services. Uh, and so when it comes to things like even CT scans and MRIs, do you know that MRIs are up from, a, from three years ago? 29% more MRIs are actually being done. 26% more CT scans. Now, that is a good thing for Manitobans who are waiting for an MRI or a CT. But, of course, you know, you're trying to address an issue on uh, volume. We need to do that better. And Manitobans understand that for many years, in some of these categories, Manitoba lagged behind other provinces. We said as a government, we're placing a flag. This is not acceptable. Manitobans deserve shorter wait times to the uh, procedures and the health treatment that they need. It's why we're undertaking the transformation. Uh, We know that we're beginning to see signs that this transformation is working. We're going to continue to work to get better results for all Manitobans when it comes to these. So, Mr. Friesen, or Minister Friesen, if we're prepared to give you the pass for the last 24 months and that you're working through some changes, at what point can we hold you accountable on the numbers? When should we see a change in these statistics? Well, Manitobans will absolutely hold us accountable for the system change. Remember, the changes we're making are not, are not based on a whim. They're based on evidence that looked at Manitoba and said, look, you guys, for a province of your size, this is way too complex of a health care system, way too expensive. Remember, we're one of the most expensive in Canada per person. So we know that as we continue in this transformation, coordinating our planning, coordinating our approaches, have RHAs really delivering health care uh, services having the department really plan and having shared health help along the way, we have strong uh, confidence in the fact that these numbers should be, begin to improve. And we know that as we look at these reports uh, next year, you folks in Manitobans uh, will have questions and uh, we'll be prepared to answer those questions. But just to follow up, Minister Friesen, on Greg's question, I mean, if you ended up in a hospital earlier this year, January, February, wait times were up and the WRHA said illnesses, flu was part of the problem, but wait times were up there and we've got wait times up. This is the fourth year in, the ro- in a row that these numbers for hip and knee replacement surgeries haven't seen any improvement. In fact, they were worse now than they were before these wholesale changes. So can we say how, how much patience do Manitobans have to have before they can say this may not be working? Is it next year? Is it 2021? Like there has to be a timeline that we can give ourselves. Yeah, I think that's an absolutely fair question. When I look back at this data, I see in some cases that the numbers for Manitoba haven't changed in 10 years. In 10 years, no marked improvement in our ranking. Uh, That, to me, is unacceptable. It's the reason that our government is undertaking these changes. We expect to see that movement. Look, our premier has said he wants our province to be the most improved province. I think that could apply uh, apply equally uh, well to the area of priority procedure wait times. We want that change. Manitobas want that change. Uh, I think that those investments we recently made in cataracts and hips and knees will demonstrate to Manitobans wow, something just
changes happened here. I got a procedure faster than I thought. We need it to happen in other places as well. More change coming this year to Seven Oaks and Concordia with the conversions or closures of their ER. And then many people in rural Manitoba, Minister Friesen, waiting to hear what might be happening to the ERs in their communities. Do we have a date yet for when we'll see changes to folks for folks outside of city limits? Well, this spring, we're going to uh, receive back all the good work that is underway right now in a variety of areas in what we're calling our provincial clinical and preventative services planning. Uh, that is uh, uh, over 300 people who are working very hard to develop real provincial plans in all kinds of areas of clinical work, uh, things like emergency medicine and cardiac care and primary care and women's health and children's health. That work will come back. We're going to proceed on the evidence. I don't think that Manitobans should be waiting for any magical date on which the next shoe will drop. We're going to proceed with evidence. We're going to proceed cautiously and try to give as much notification as we can of changes coming. We know that change is hard. And when you say change in healthcare in the same sentence, that's equally hard. So we're not, we're not pretending that there isn't change for people who are either receiving care or who are those healthcare providers. But we want to do this well, and we want to do it for the right reason. And the reason is uh, getting Manitobans shorter wait times, putting the patient at the center, better health care sooner. Manitoba's Health Minister is Cameron Friesen joining us live on 680 CJOB. Minister Friesen, thank you very much. Thanks. Have a great day. You too, sir. So, Greg? Well, here's the data. I hear what he's saying that we have to be patient, but if you look at the numbers, they're going down. So he says there hasn't been any improvement, but did we expect them to get worse? Well, we went through those changes, and I would say the answer was supposed to be no. We feared that they might get worse, but did we have an expectation or a data expectation that they would worsen? So sure, MRIs, wait times are improving. There are other areas that we're seeing some improvement, but I know for so many of our listeners, hip, knees, eyes, cataracts is huge. $5.3 million investment. You use that terminology. You come up with that number somehow. I think we were fair in terms of trying to get an exact number of when we would expect numbers to change. The minister didn't give us that. I just, when you start using evidence-based, I think of business plan. And if I have a business plan, I do a pro forma spreadsheet and an idea of when my investment is going to start paying off and I'm going to start seeing results And I'm just surprised that the minister wasn't able to uh, give us some sort of idea of when that $5.3 million would turn into X amount of procedures and uh, reduced waiting time. So a little bit disappointed on that front. Listener texting us just now to say that they've waited for hip and knee surgery before. And in their opinion, quote, the problem with the healthcare system is that patients still wait too long and that those wait times do not take into account the years and years and years of suffering a person has gone through before the health care system even deems you ready for a knee replacement. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and we are always excited when our friends from the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra stop by for a visit, and there is something happening this weekend that sounds out of this world. WSO goes out of this world, and we're going to have to get our guest to help us with this. This is why we bring in the experts, because... (laughs) I'm going to try to say this with Holst's The Planets and John Estacio's Borealis Trilogy. Let's ask our guest, Jose Francisco Salgado, if I said that correctly. You did. <laughs> 10, right? Did yeah. you get 10 out of 10? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. So thank you very much for visiting us, Jose Francisco Salgado. Thank you. And this is a show that is happening on March 29th through the 31st at the Centennial Concert Hall with 
a side event at the Manitoba Museum's Science Gallery. So, how are you? Fine. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Where are you from? Originally from Puerto Rico, and then I moved to the States, Michigan, Chicago. Now I'm in Nashville. Nashville. You're not a Predators fan, are you? We don't want to get these <laughs> off on a wrong no, foot. No, 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 don't worry. All That's right, good. Yeah. I would have ended this interview real yeah, quick. Real quick. Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's nice of you to come down. And, yeah, so, uh, so, sorry, sorry, Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us what we have on the go here, because so your career, you're an astronomer? Correct. And you're, how, how do you end up in film and with the symphony? What's the connection there? So when I um, was in grad school studying uh, astronomy in, in, in Michigan, I got interested in, in science communication, you know, education, public outreach. And by then I had already developed interest in, in the graphic arts. Um, I've been a music fan for been a music fan for a long time. So I said, oh, I can combine, you know, the visual arts with science to communicate science and engage people, right? Illustrations, uh, web editing, you know, this was in the 90s, so the World Wide Web was a new thing. Uh, But then fast forward, um, like 10 years later, was working at the Planetarium in Chicago, and the Chicago Sinfonieta asked me to come up with a visual backdrop for a concert of the planets. They are, you know, we're performing uh, this weekend. So instead of creating a slideshow, of the beautiful, you know, uh, images of the planets, but a slideshow that had nothing to do with the music. I said, no, how about if I make, using all these resources, all these great visuals, if I make a film in support of the music being played. So that way there is correlation and and the concert goer will not be distracted by the images, but one thing reinforces the other. And it's not different than, the film composer getting the final cut of the film and then writing music to support the film, I'm doing the opposite. The music, in this case, The Planets was composed 100 years ago, and I'm making a film to support the music. So The Planets is a symphony. It's a suite of of seven orchestral uh, works inspired by The Planets. And then what I did is, and it's a beautiful piece, each movement each has its own uh, character. So it's not like, you know, cookie cutter piece where it's very predictable. No, because each planet is different. So in the same way, each piece is very, very different from each other. So, so then I collected the best images from NASA, from other uh, space agencies and observatories, as well as historical documents. And then I edited them in such a way that they follow Mm. the music. So the idea is that, you know, as a science uh, communicator, is that people come to the concert hall to get inspired by the music, to enjoy the music, not necessarily to learn about the universe. So I'm taking that opportunity that we have an attentive audience to hopefully inspire them to learn more about our planet and and the universe with this series of films, because it started with the planets and now we have more. We've seen this complimentary approach. Uh, Brett, uh, here, along with Jeff Braun, our colleague, uh, hosted uh, just this uh, whole series with regard to Star Trek and Star Wars, the music from those films, and added another dimension to that conversation between what's better, uh, those between those two franchises. And then when I think about what you've done, yeah, people are unintentionally learning something uh, about our universe, about our, our uh, about abso- our neighbors. Absolutely. And it could be as simple as letting people know that these objects exist and how they look. And 
I mean, if they don't know about that something exists, how can they be interested in, mm. right? So it's very gratifying to see people coming out of the hole saying like, wow, I didn't know these things existed. I didn't know that Jupiter had so many moons or, you know, whatever it is that they, that they you know, that got their interest. It's like, okay, now you know, now it's up to you uh, to learn more about, about that. Now, there is also an opportunity as well uh, to go to the Manitoba Museum's Science Gallery for an exclusive soundcheck event before the performance on Saturday. So I guess that'll get the kids involved as well. So when kids come to this show, like, do you ever get to interact with these kids and yeah, see what they take away from it? Right. So there are different ways you know, to do that. Um, uh, there's a pre-concert lecture. So for those interested in learning more about what's going to happen during the concert itself, they can come early and hear, you know, the, uh, the, the conductor as well as the composer of the other music, uh, John Estacio and myself will have a conversation, you know, with, with the audience. Um, I come on stage and introduce the films, put them in, in context and yes. And then as much as possible, I go to, you know, into the lobby and interact with, interact with, 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 uh, with the audience. It's about, um, I, I, if I'm hearing you right, your goal is to have people ask more questions about Absolutely. the solar system and what they're seeing or not seeing in space. But I'm curious for you if you also hear people who may have come for because they do already love exactly the solar system and then walk away thinking, oh, I really enjoyed the symphony. I mean, there's it, a, a mixed benefit there. Uh, absolutely. And it's one of the things that I that I that I say that. Although, you know, the, um, the mission of the, uh, this organization that I lead called KV265 is the communication of science through the arts. It's also the, you know, communication or inspiration of the arts through science because absolutely, you can have people that are astronomy buffs and they learn, oh, there's, oh, you know, they might know of, of you know, of, uh, of the planet, but they know that there, there's these visuals going to be shown in the concert hall and they come and then maybe they had heard of the planet, maybe they had not heard about John Estacio, and now they're like, wow, this is actually incredible music. Now I'm going to check out more symphony concerts, right? So for me, you know, as an educator, I, the main mission is to, get in, in, to inspire people to learn about what, about whatever it is that any of the things that we present and then we take the films into schools because I give a lot of lectures and it's more anecdotal because I tell them about how, what I do and how I got to this point. But what I want them to see is like, wow, this guy is combining, you know, photography with filmmaking, with science, with education, with music. One of the thi those things, oh, I would like to pursue a career in one of those things or a combination of one of those things. And then, you know, inspire multidisciplinary individuals. Right. And my philosophy is that if people are doing what they're passionate about, then we'll have a better society. Because if you blur as much as possible the lines between work and play, you know, then you're going to be happy because you're doing what what you like. And it's all play or it, close enough anyway. Right, or close enough. Exactly. Well, and I'm imagining as well, just going to this show, I, I'm picturing a, a feeling of serenity because when you you have all of these wondrous images of the planets uh, from NASA combined with this beautiful music and your narration, you've got a wonderful voice. And <laughs> uh, I, I would imagine that this is uh, quite a, a relaxing, uplifting, invigorating show. Thank you, thank you. And then the other, you know, aspect of the of the concert, and actually a Canadian as well, is the music by John Estacio. He was inspired by. Um, he's from Edmonton. He's going to be here for the concert. He was inspired by the sun and by the Northern Lights. He, so he wrote these two different uh, separate pieces of music. And then I talked to him. I, sa I said, this is what I do. Take a look at my 
film for the planets, can I combine these three pieces, Solaris, Borealis, and Wondrous Light, and make a film about how the Northern Lights are, are formed? So he said, yes, love your work, go for it. So it features images of the sun by NASA, from uh, NASA spacecraft, and then my photography of the Northern Lights, photographing Yellowknife in NWT. So it's all photography of the sun and the Northern Lights. Wow. How long did it take you to put together your the first, the initial presentation for the, the Chicago, is it the Philharmonic? Yeah, the, the, yeah, the Chicago Sinfonietta. It took me like six months because I was learning how to make films. <laughs> you know, I was coming from photography, Photoshop work, illustrator work, into motion graphics. So it was, uh, you know, learning as I, as I was doing it. And then they started taking uh, less and less time. The exception to that is... When I have to do photography, then, of course, there's a lot of traveling involved, depending, you know, to go to different locations. And then, of course, you have other comp other factors, if weather is cooperating and so on. In the, just to give you an idea, in the case of Borealis, which is the middle movement of the Estacio work, I spent like nine nights in Yellowknife gathering all the material, all the time-lapse sequences of the Northern Lights. And then basically what I'm conveying in that piece is it's going from dawn, uh, from dusk until dawn, seeing the beautiful Northern Lights illuminating the, uh, the, the landscape in, in NWT. Well, there are three shows happening tomorrow and Saturday. There's a matinee tomorrow at 10.30 at the Centennial Concert Hall. Then the evening show is at 7.30. And then another evening show at 7.30 with an opportunity as well to the Manitoba Museum's Science Gallery for an exclusive sound check event before the performance on Saturday, March 30th. And it's Jose Francisco Salgado. And he is the narrator of Holst's The Planets and John Estacio's Borealis Trilogy. And you get more information at WSO.ca. Jose Francisco, thank you so much for stopping in. Thanks, thanks for this. the invitation. And we also just need to quickly mention as well, Greg, you mentioned that the Couch Potatoes hosted Star Wars versus Star Trek. And we can now confirm that the Couch Potatoes will host Superhero Showdown. Wow, I love it. With the WSO this November. More details to come in the coming weeks and months for sure. Do you get to pick the superheroes? No. Oh, that would be an extra superhero power. Yeah. You, should, you should ask for that. I know. I'm going to see if I can can weasel a couple of things in there. But <laughs> I, I think they'll, they'll leave that to the experts. 946, <laughs> Jeff Courier joins us next on The Start. Thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.